from MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining. It's the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. This morning, we're going back in time to a time when you and your neighborhood butcher run a first-name basis. Our guest today is doing just that in Flora, Mississippi, as the Flora Butcher. We'll meet with Chef David Rains. He'll share his story, how he brought the butcher shop back to Main Street. Also, Chef Rains and Deborah are here to share their culinary expertise, so give us a call this morning. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or send us an email food at mpbonline.org This is Deep South Dining from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. So we're going back in time this morning, a time to when you and your neighborhood butcher were on a first-name basis. Our guest today is doing just that in Flora, Mississippi, as the Flora Butcher. We're going to welcome Chef David Rains to the show so he can share his story about he brought how he brought the butcher shop back to Main Street. You uh, can join our conversation this morning with your comments and questions. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send us an email food at mpbonline.org you're listening to deep south dining on mpb think radio so good morning deborah hope that you're doing well this morning good morning kevin i am fantastic i woke up this morning and realized it was extremely gorgeous outside so it made that three mile run go really well and i'm happy to see you today i got to see there are actually flowers that are budding oh my gosh Already. It's quite incredible. And I wanted to say good morning to a few of our friends today. Jim Burrell, if you're listening, I hope you're out there sharpening up some knives today. And I wanted to say hi to Martha Flusi, uh, an amazing chef, uh, and to my granddaughter. Hi, Dakota. Grandma, love you. <laughs> Our guest today is uh, Chef David Rains. Chef, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, Chef. How are you? I'm fine. How are y'all? Uh, so uh, we're going to be talking about uh, some things that uh, you brought in some great food, and Deborah always did. But we do have an early caller online, so why don't we go ahead and talk to Jesse in Mobile? Good morning, Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Good morning. Hey, yes, it is a gorgeous day. It's like Florida. There are no clouds in the sky. Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful today. Yeah. Okay, quick question. Typically, we do collard greens without the meat. I know that's kind of anti-Southern, but. Once the doctor tells your parents to lay low on salt, you kind of go with the vegan scenario. So it's collard greens, bell peppers, onions, olive oil, and my sister adds celery, and then sea salt. Okay. Since you're not dumping meat in the collards, is there something the butcher suggests as a side dish to go with the basically <coughs> vegan collards? Um, you can do a lot more with your collards to... Uh to add uh, the beef flavor but not add the salt. If you wanted to use beef or pork stock, uh, that'll be salt-free. You can add a little apple cider vinegar, um, beer, if you're into that flavor profile, and some chili flake, and it'll really kick up the flavor of the collard greens, and you don't really miss the bacon or the ham hock as much. Also, too, Chef, one of the things that I found, you can pan sear some mushrooms. Shiitakes are very wonderful, mm-hmm. and it'll give you that meat texture that you're looking for, and they work really well with the collard greens as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my wife is a vegetarian, ironically enough, and she eats a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of meat substitutes that are made from mushrooms, and the texture of the mushrooms gives you the, the fibers. It, it's like having meat in your dish. Absolutely. All right, Jesse, thanks for your call. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. We're going to be visiting today with the Flora Butcher, Chef David Rains. So if you have a question about uh, butchers and meat or if you uh, have that would like to call in and share, uh, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show food at mpbonline.org. We always like to talk about what we're eating early in the morning. Try to make you folks a little bit jealous out there that are listening. <laughs> and, uh, Chef, you 
really did some great two two different kinds of sandwiches. Uh, tell us what you brought in for us this morning. I uh, brought two sandwiches. One's a cold sandwich with Wagyu pastrami that we make in-house uh, and we slice to order at the shop. Uh, we did it on rye bread uh, with sauerkraut and a Creole aioli. And then we did roast beef po'boys, which we also use our Wagyu beef to make our roast beef at the shop. And we serve po'boys a few times a week. It's really popular. We did it on Saturday and uh, just couldn't keep up. So, Yeah, I, I liked the, uh, the, the that the roast beef was warm. That was the really – I was not expecting that, and so that was a really a nice uh, sensation. And also there was uh, some – I don't know if sauce is the right word, but what was the – Kind of the flavoring in the roast beef. Um, since we do whole animal butchery and we have all the bones, uh, we use neck bones and marrow bones to make uh, really rich Wagyu beef stock. And we make a gravy with that in order to uh, go with our roast beef because I like roast beef with a, with a gravy. I mean, it doesn't need it, but I, I just like it that much. Yeah, this this beef is so fantastic. Everybody was making food noises, Kevin. That's when you know that something is really good. When when you watch people and they close their eyes and all you could hear was, oh, my God, all through the building. So this is some of the best beef that I have ever had. And these sandwiches were fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Yeah, I think uh, both the kind of the texture, of uh, it, it was just succulent, I think, would be the right word to use. And, and the pastrami just had a really, really good flavor. So we we certainly appreciate that. And you got us off to a good start, Chef. I know anytime uh, fellow employees here at MPB come marching down the hall and, and end up in the lobby, uh, you know we've got something good for them. But, Deborah, not not to be outdone, you always bring some good stuff as well. And you brought uh, kind of a side item to go with the sandwiches. Well, I knew the chef was bringing us some beef. I wasn't really sure what it was. You know, I was kind of dreaming about a porterhouse, but that didn't happen. So, but the sandwiches were amazing. But I brought in a side of potato or warm potato salad, Kevin, and it, it's really simple to make. It's just um, some rustic potatoes. I leave the skin on; they're cut really thinly, and you want to smash them. You don't want to cream them. I pan seared some onions, some corn, some mushrooms, and some um, sweet peas, and we folded this into. And of course, I added just a little bit of butter and cream cheese, salt and pepper. That's it. It's really simple. It makes a perfect side. And of course, I couldn't live without dessert today. <laughs> so I brought in a cream cheese apple perline pie. Oh my God, that's all I can say about that. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I like the uh, the uh, the the potatoes because, as you said, it wasn't co- completely mashed. They were just kind of chunked up, and I got a nice big uh, big chunk of potato in mine, so that was really good. And then I love onions and mushrooms, so that added really great to to the flavor. And of course, I mean, you know, we don't we don't need to talk about the dessert. That was just out of this world. It's amazing. Uh, the uh, the cheesecake, and then it was, I think, the yellow delicious apples. The yellow delicious apples, and literally, you know, I make pearling candy. So I had some left over, and I kept thinking. What should I make? And all of a sudden, it's like this dream pie came to mind. I literally just crunched the candy up, and I just used it uh, the same way you would create a crumble for for bread uh, for your pies. Added a little bit of flour and butter into the candy, and used that at the at the last ten minutes of baking time, right on top of this dish. It was just perfect. Absolutely perfect. And again, another, you know, another not only a tasty treat, but also visually uh, uh, pleasing as well. You know, Chef, I think uh, your sandwich is the same way. Uh, do you, does some time go into food preparation, not just for taste, although we all love the taste, but is visual a big part of, of what you do? I've always felt that way. I've always felt the eyes eat first and uh, it, the food tastes good before you ever take a bite. If it looks appealing enough, um, most of my background is fine dining, and presentation is a big part of that. Um, I just, uh, I just every time I do something, I want it to look pretty before before I actually give it to somebody. And then, of course, when you add all that uh, to the the smells, uh, we really were we were all worked up this morning, so had a great uh, meal. <clears throat> Chef, if you would tell us a little bit about your background. Um, uh, I was born in Hawaii, grew up in North Louisiana, uh, left to go into the Army after high school, and then I've just kind of been a rolling stone since then. Um, I've worked in uh, Italy, Japan, Australia, Denmark. Um, uh, I've gone to school at uh, the French Culinary Institute in New York, Johnson & Wales in Colorado, and then the uh, it's an Italian slow food movement uh, school in Yezzy, Italy. I went there for my mastery of regional Italian cuisine. Uh, studied bread making and charcuterie. I'm just uh, I'm one of those jack of all trades kind of guys. I just want to know everything I can get my hands on. And then I've taken other classes on butchery and things like that. And then 
as a chef, I've done whole animal butchery in restaurants and things like that. So uh, it wasn't very, it wasn't a very big step for me to move into a, a butcher shop world. So what is the thing that you are providing the most at your butcher shop? What are you hoping to do in your community? And what do you want people to know about your butcher shop? Well, um, the real motivation for me to open it, uh, my dad has been raising Wagyu cattle in North Louisiana for uh, quite some time, well over a decade. He sells it to a national company who can just get much more money for it, selling it on the east and west coast, uh, exporting it to Japan. Uh, Vegas is a you know a big purchaser of things like that. And you just can't buy it in Mississippi or Louisiana, uh, strangely enough, even though it's an hour from here. Um, but what I do is I buy it directly from my father as whole animals, and then we can offer it at a fraction of the cost uh, you can other places. And we took that and we coupled it with local pigs, uh, local lamb, every Mississippi product I can get my hands on. Um, and then we just uh, use all those products to make all our prepared foods and our blue plates. And uh, we do our blue plates for $10 with your tax and drink included. Just it wow. keeps everybody coming through. And we use Wagyu beef for all of those. And uh, it's a... Uh, so you mean I can literally come to your butcher shop, get a hot lunch with Waggy beef on it for $10? Are you serious? $10. Oh, my gosh. Drink in there. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. For those of you who have not tried this beef, let me tell you, this is the most superb uh, beef that you can have anywhere in the world. And a little bit about the process, if you will, because I do know that it's a Japanese uh, beef. But if you could tell us a little bit about the process. And why this beef is so fantastic? Um, well, Wagyu cattle are really from European stock, but they've been in isolation in Japan for 2,000 years. Uh, they didn't really start eating them until about 500 years ago, and then they didn't really reach the level that they are now until 200 years ago. Um, that's kind of ballparking it. But uh, they've developed their own genetic you know, circumstances where they marble really well. They're very tender. Uh, they're not the biggest, most impressive-looking animals in the world. They were uh, bred to pull carts and things like that in agriculture. Uh, and it was just sort of an accident that they've got these amazing genetic traits. They convert stearic acid, that hard fat you see in a steak, into oleic, like fish oil or olive oil. They just do it naturally. Um, it's the only cow that does that, has that gene. Um, uh, it's less saturated. It's uh, it's better for you. It's higher in omega three, six, and eight fatty acids. It's it's just an accident. A lot of it, but uh, <laughs> they took that and they coupled it with um, you know different feeding processes and uh, like you get Kobe beef, uh, which is a black Tajima cow raised in Kobe, Japan, by a handful of people allowed to do it. Um, they keep them uh, still most of the time uh, and only pull them out some parts of the day and they massage them to keep their <laughs> muscles from atrophying because they don't move much. And then they give them beer and sake and things like that in the summer because they can't <laughs> afford for them to stop eating. So, you know, got to keep going. Just like if you gave me a beer, I'd probably keep eating more than I would just sitting there. So so basically, Kevin, you got some drunk cow on your hand. Okay? Yeah. So, but these are uh, black Tajima cows raised in North Louisiana and they're more traditionally raised. They're grass-fed up to 700 pounds and then grain-finished wow. to get the marbling wow. and the flavor. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue visiting with Chef David Rains. We've got some open phone lines. Kathleen's on the line. We'll take her call and we'll take your call when we get back. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Send an email to food at mpbonline.org. Back with more of Deep South Dining after this. standing member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Welcome back to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. We're visiting today with the Flora Butcher, Chef David Rains. We're going to talk about uh, his butcher shop and talk generally about some cuts of meat. Maybe if you're interested in uh, uh, different cuts of meat or if you have a question for the butcher or if you just want to call in and share uh, some food stories, give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to food at mpbonline.org. We do have a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Kathleen in Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Hey, girl. How are you? I to talk to this chef. You know, I'm always bugging you about cooking with stock and broths, and this is what my question is to him. On a cold morning day like this, <laughs> um, I make a lot of stock. But I have noticed one time when I went to a uh, slaughterhouse to buy bones, it did not taste anywhere near the bones that you get from a grocery store. Now, I know there's some difference, but could you explain to me what the difference is and how to make that stock? Um, Sure. uh, It just depends on the bones that you get. Uh, You can't just take any of the bones out of a a cow and, and they taste the same. The knuckles... Uh, the marrow bones, the cross-section of the femur, the neck bones in particular, uh, those have a lot of gelatin and flavor in them. The neck bones have uh, a lot of meat attached still, and it does a lot for the quality of the stock that you're going to make. In the old days, they would make stock with meat, not bones. It's more of a modern thing to use the bones. Uh, used to take the meat and shred it up afterwards and stir it in with fat and seasonings and feed it to the staff. <laughs> Uh, back in the old French kitchens, you'd see the staff sitting out back drinking a glass of wine, eating a pork riette or something like that. But uh, these days we use bones. But if you don't use the right bones, it uh, it can be sort of bland. Now, let me ask you a question. Your last name, Lafleur, means the flower in French, right? Uh, no, ma'am. That's uh, the Flora Butcher. Is We're in Flora, Mississippi, and my last name is Rains. Rains. Which I don't think means anything. <laughs> oh, we've had enough of Rains. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, uh, when you want to age steaks, how complicated is that? You can't just hang it out in the closet or something. No, ma'am. To age an individual steak, uh, probably the only way you're going to be able to do it is if it's sealed in a cryovac uh, bag. Uh Uh-huh. You can age whole loins. Yeah, Um, that's what I'm interested in. Sure. It's your your refrigerator has too high a humidity to do that very safely. Right. Um, it's probably better if you just come see me. We have a dry aging cooler uh, with a dehumidifier, way too many fans, and it basically keeps the air whipping in there. So as water comes to the surface, it just gets wicked away, and that's where you get the dry aged uh, crust on the outside, and you develop the dry aged flavor without risk of getting anything bad growing on your steak and having it look like a shag carpet after a month or so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Kathleen, good to hear from you. Uh, why Flora? Flora is a great little town. It's, uh, you know, it's not a very big population. There's a lot of people who live out and around it. Um, originally, I was looking for a metal building in the middle of nowhere to do meat fabrication for wholesale alone. And um, the person who owns the building was very enthusiastic about me moving on to Main Street in Flora because he's a very big proponent of Flora. So um, because of our location, we had the opportunity to have a butcher shop, you know, and then that's a lot more fun for me. And uh, my friend Frank Zemanski, who is uh, like my right hand, we're both chefs by trade, so we cook all the time. We make prepared foods. We uh, We have some other people I've worked with over the years helping us, and we have a... Uh, a couple great meat cutters that we've gotten along the way. And, you know, it's just uh, it's a great, safe little town. And, you know, people are finding it more and more worth the drive down 22. It's a nice, pretty drive to come out and see us. And that's sort of their traditions. You see a lot of them that's just certain days a week. They show up and buy food for the week. And you see them every Tuesday or every Friday or whatever. 
I think it is certainly a unique asset for a community because, you know, I think they have kind of gone the way. It's something that we think about it in times gone past. A lot of us do our shopping at the at the grocery store. And I would say, Chef, uh, possibly the folks that do shop at the at the chain stores, maybe to try to get to know the, the folks in the meat department there. And you might be surprised what they would do for you even in those chain stores. Oh, sure. Um, I was just looking around and really just checking people's setups and things. And I started talking to the kids at Whole Foods. A great group. They came out mm-hmm. to the shop, and you know they don't have hanging carcass coolers and things like that in Whole Foods and dry aging coolers, but they're very into their their trade. And uh, those guys, they they would do a lot for you if you just talk to them about what you're looking for. Some things they're not allowed to do, but um, uh, you'd be surprised. They have a lot of skills that they don't necessarily get to use every day. The thing that I love the most, I, I haven't actually personally been into the shop, but just from the brochure that you brought today, this is visually stunning place. I would just want to go and hang out in there, Kevin. I'm such a girl. So, you know, all the aesthetics, the visual appeal of this place is just absolutely fantastic. And I understand, again, that I could come in there and get lunch and hang out with the chef and ask questions and get to know my chef personally, opposed, like you were saying at the grocery store, uh, opposed to just randomly walking in and not knowing what's available and not having somebody to explain to me even how to prepare something better because I'm talking to an actual chef, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's, um, you know, we stay up front, uh, Frank and myself in particular. Uh, we could have someone just work the register and stuff, but we prefer to know you know, have all the answers for everybody. The The shop itself is as charming as we could make it. Uh, we left a lot of the old parts of the building exposed and then did a lot of custom mill work and things like that. Uh, Tim Getty from Dean and Dean was the architect, and he just made it look beautiful. And then my friend, who actually introduced me to my current landlord, uh, Brent Cryer, built it out for me, and they both just went above and beyond to make it as nice as they could. So it really came together nicely. I can't wait to get in there and see it uh, personally because, I mean, this is absolutely beautiful from these photographs. Let's uh, head back to the phones. We go to Brandon. Minnie has called in today. Good morning, Minnie. Go ahead. Hey, Minnie. Hi. My son gave us a jewel for Christmas for cooking the method, and I wanted you to discuss a little bit more about how that we should be experimenting and using that method of cooking. Uh, is there anything specific that you've tried to do so far? Well, we uh, we would we come through the butcher shop, and I saw that you had some things that were cooked that way and frozen. What we've done is one of your steaks, and that went well. But I want to try some other things, and just I just don't know a lot about the method of cooking using that. Yeah, well, I mean, as you probably have gathered already, sous vide just means under vacuum in French. Um, the technique is just to add a little bit of flavoring, not really salt, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, more like thyme and things like that, rosemary. Uh, we use Wagyu tallow in our, our sous vide. And you cook it for a long, slow time in a, a water bath, uh, like 130 degrees. And what you're basically doing is you're breaking down all the connective tissue like you would in a long, slow cook, like a smoke. Um, but you're preserving the texture of a raw steak. So when you do cook it, you can still cook a rare steak even though you've cooked it for 24 hours at 130 degrees uh, and to get it really, really tender. And then you have the opportunity just to uh, season it with salt and pepper and sear the outside and just have a beautiful crust and a, a really delicate uh, texture on the inside of your steak. You can do it with just about anything, although I always like doing it with the uh, leaner cuts. Uh, I don't necessarily sous vide a filet, but plenty of people do, and they just like to take it up you know, just that much more tender when they're eating it all right many thanks for the call it's an interesting i've never heard of that technique so thank you many uh next let's go to will in philadelphia good morning will hey will good morning good morning morning. uh my question well my statement and question uh during the summertime i'm in wisconsin and iowa frequently and so there's some really great butcher shops there and they always pride themselves on having uh grass-fed beef and I really don't know the difference between grass-fed and corn-fed. I just want to know the difference in that. And my second statement is I have learned from watching those quick, short clips like on, on, on uh, Facebook that how to prepare a steak, like bake it low and slow and then finish it off with like herbs and butter and garlic. Is, is that a proper way to do a steak or is it better to grill? Or what are your opinions? 
Um, well, let's start with the uh, grass-fed and corn-fed. Uh, you get a different flavor profile for sure when you eat grass-fed steaks as opposed to corn-fed. Um, when you eat a grass-fed steak, and not to oversimplify it, it tastes a little bit like grass to me, you know, and maybe it's because I know it's, 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 that's its last meal. Corn-fed tends to be a little more buttery, nutty-flavored. Um, the fat changes color uh, from yellow to white, which is sort of a aesthetic appeal for people in a butcher. Like when they go to a grocery store, they don't want to see yellow fat on a steak. So you see less of that. And then the, the animals just have less intermuscular fat. Now, some have great genetics and they marble anyway. But in general, grass-fed animals don't really marble that well. So it's uh, texturally, I don't know that it's all that different. It's a little bit different flavor. And without the fat, I just don't. Uh, I just don't enjoy it as much. Of course, you know my specialty is wagyu, which is the most marbled. So I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum from grass-fed. But we do grass-feed ours up to 700 pounds in order to get some of those health benefits. But uh, wagyu cattle already have more of those uh, amino acids, the beneficial ones naturally, than grass-fed do anyway. So. Uh, I'm a big proponent of doing the corn, especially with Wagyu, because they mature slowly. Uh, the other question? About uh, a steak, a base of, kind oh, of yes. a, the primer for a steak. Um, you know, it's all about how you like to do it. Um, people come in all the time and ask if there's a special way to cook Wagyu. Not really. Um, you might want to watch your ribeye a little closer because it'll flare up because of all the marbling and the liquidy nature of its fat. But um, it's how you like it. I mean, uh, you can douse your... Wagyu steak and Hoover sauce and cook it if you want. Uh, I, I always recommend salt and pepper, but it's really what you play with and you, what you like. Um, playing with your food is the best thing in the world, no matter what your parents told you. Uh, <laughs> if you try cooking it this way or that way or looking up a recipe and doing it different every time, eventually you're going to find the way you really like it, and uh, you'll probably impress your friends with it. All right. Uh, we need to take another quick break. When we get back, uh, Frank's on the line. We'll get to his call, and we've got some other calls coming in. So today on Deep South Dining, we're visiting with the Flora Butcher, Chef David Rains. So if you have a question or a comment, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Send an email to food at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. Kevin Farrell, the host of Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Each week, credit counselor Chris Burford and assistant professor of finance Nancy Lotter-Janderson are ready to answer your questions about credit, investing, or saving for retirement. Or call in to share your success stories of navigating the personal finance challenges that we all face. Money Talks, Tuesday mornings at 9 on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. You're listening to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email food at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. And today we're visiting with the Flora Butcher, Chef David Rains. Uh, David's been telling us a little bit about uh, his butcher shop and some of the products that uh, they offer there. So if you'd like to join the conversation, you can call us at one mpb ring Our phone number is one 
672-7464. Send an email to food at mpbonline.org. We say good morning to Frank in Jackson. Thanks for holding, Frank. You're up next. Go ahead. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Good morning, carnivores. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Roar. <laughs> Uh, uh, Mr. Butcherman, I am the resident raw foodist in residence around here. And um, before we get into the protein deal, the biggest animals on the world in the world are raw foodists: elephants, gorillas, et cetera, et cetera. So don't say you can't get protein and build muscle just eating raw food. If you go, I've given up trying to get carnivores to stop eating meat. So Thank you, Frank. Food. We really appreciate you giving up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little tip. The largest section in the pharmacy are either headache remedies or stomach remedies. And the reason the stomach remedies are so prevalent is because we are not eating food in a way that makes it easy for the stomach to digest meat. If you just eat uh, potatoes and water, you will not get diabetes. You will not gain weight. If you just eat bread and water, you will not get diabetes. You will not gain weight. What's the point if of that? Eat, <laughs> if you just eat rice and water, you will not gain weight. You will not get diabetes. So substitute the water for raw food, salads, vegetables, et cetera, et cetera. Now, food combinations. Meat eaters, please look at food combinations. Number one, if you... Uh, yeah, food combinations. If you eat meat with a bread, that is not a good deal. There's a diet called the paleo diet. All you eat is meat and vegetables with no grains. You will not gain weight. You will not get diabetes. If you just eat meat and, and vegetables, there's a diet called the Atkins diet. And these diets have proven that the body chemistry changes and adjusts. So do not eat bread and potatoes with meat. All that does is mess up your digestion, and you'll have to go to the pharmacy and go ahead and get a pill. Oh, but Frank, it, it certainly tastes good. I'll, I'll have to say that. And also, <laughs> let me say that, uh, you know, I, I told folks I get the Blue Apron uh, stuff occasionally. The last time uh, they one of the meals was hamburgers. They forgot the buns. And so instead of running to the grocery store to buy the buns, I just ate the hamburger without the buns. So Ta-da. I'm on my way to that paleo diet. <laughs> Uh, let's, uh, Frank, let's... thanks for the call. That's <laughs> hilarious. So, so Chef David is sitting here looking mortified. So, that Frank is one of our favorite callers because he likes just keeping me on my toes. So, we really appreciate you calling all the time. Always good to hear from you, Frank. Uh, let's uh, stay in Jackson. Gladys has called in today. Good morning, Gladys. Hey, Gladys. Uh, I would like to find out what that fascination with suddenly we're all using sea salt. I went to the store and bought a can of of. Uh, well-known brand of uh, diced tomatoes that had the garlic and stuff in them. I used to be able to chill the can, take it op- open, and just eat it, you know, some of it out of the can and use the rest of it in my spaghetti recipe. Well, I did that the other day, but it had such a musty smell. and I mean, it's musty taste. And I checked the label, and it said, big thing, I don't know how I missed it, it said sea salt. And I'm finding that I really don't care for stuff that has sea salt in it. What is the value of that over salt that they mine somewhere else? Um, Sea salt has a lot of different mineral qualities to it. It depends on where you get it as to how it it tastes. Uh, You can make sea salt out of Gulf water right outside the Mississippi River if you want, and it's going to be a much different flavor than if you get something uh, from the Mediterranean or something like that. Uh, sea salts for me are best used, uh, things like bread making, things where the yeast, uh, need the different varieties of minerals and that makes the bread have a more complex flavor. I think sea salt, just like in your potato chips and canned food is a little bit of more of a marketing thing. And that's just my opinion. That's not based on fact or anything like that. I do love sea salt as a finishing salt, um, I just use kosher salt in pretty much everything I do, but I'll do a you know a Florida salad or something as a as a finishing to my steak, and I can get a little bit of that minerally flavor. Uh, and there's such a wide variety; you can pick and choose as you go. But to buy something with sea salt in it, I guess potentially you could run the risk of getting a lower end sea, sea salt that has uh, you could say almost a muddy flavor to it, really. 
All right, uh, Gladys, thanks for your call. I, you know, I would agree. I think part of that is it's become a trendy thing, and so foodies like to go to the, you know, the latest the trendy thing and i think sea salt is is certainly uh in that category well i don't know that that it's just so much that it's trendy sea salt is a very old uh salt that's been used for a very very long time kevin uh but it's what the chef was saying from different regions uh and you'll also notice that sea salt comes in different colors and that should that coloring should be natural based on the mineral pool that it was uh that it came from. But with that being said, uh, Chef, let's talk about the importance of farm to table and the revival of this movement. I'm so in love with it here in Mississippi. Um, farm to table is hard to do. I mean, you kind of have to do something like I'm doing to make it really work because uh, most farmers don't produce enough to supply you year round. So you have to be willing to go without certain times a year. Um, if you love, if you only eat, you know, farm-to-table tomatoes and you're not eating tomatoes a lot of the year. So it's hard for people to accept that. We have uh, a hydroponic farm right in Flora that provides our tomatoes year-round. But uh, in general, it's hard to find, a, you know, straight from the farm. But anything that was picked that morning and then you eat it that day or anything that, like, um, you know, we take the animals and we harvest them and then we hang them and we take care of it from the moment uh, you know, we have it slaughtered to the moment you get it and cook it. The quality of it's going to just be huge because we know what it took to get to that point, and we've taken care of it all along the way. Um, Thomas Keller had a great story about uh, working in a place one time. Uh, he's one of the, you know one of my favorite chefs. He's out in California. He a guy was supplying rabbits to his restaurant, and he asked him to bring them alive one time so that he would he would know the the process from beginning to end and he had such a traumatic experience trying to kill a rabbit and broke his leg and chased it around and suddenly he realized what it meant to have that rabbit i mean it wasn't just the meat that you could eat or throw away or whatever it meant a lot to him that he had to go from beginning to end with it so that's the way i feel about it we just try to take care of the products a little bit more and and that's the value I think uh, or the appreciation that I have for having items that are extremely fresh because it is uh, more of the heart and soul poured into it and it's like you're saying you're more connected as uh, the chef or as a foodie that's preparing the dish because it is so extremely fresh. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with the Flora Butcher, Chef David Rains. We've been talking about uh, David and his business. Uh, if you have a question about the butchers, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can uh, send an email to food at mpbonline.org. We've got some open phone lines, so uh, if you have a question, go ahead and, and give us a call now. So, uh, Chef, you mentioned that your dad is the Wagyu beef farmer, I think you said, in, in Louisiana. Um, how did he get uh, interested? How did he discover Wagyu beef? Um, well, no offense to all the doctors of the world, but doctors tend to get into things they shouldn't get into, and that's what he did. Uh, he got into raising cattle um, uh, 12, 15 years ago, I guess now. Um, and I've been working in Japan and Australia, and pretty much any good restaurant, you only got Wagyu beef. They wouldn't even bother using something else. Um, when I came back, I, you know, I talked him out of, uh, he was just trying to mix all these different breeds and find this new great southern animal. And I said, you know, they already invented it and it's called Wagyu. <laughs> and uh, if you, you know, if you get into this, then you may be ahead of the game one day when the rest of the United States really becomes passionate about, you know, the breed. So he's been doing it for over a decade and uh, he's just put, um, you know, it's a passion for him. You know, he doesn't do it. He wants to make money at it, but he wants to do it the right way. So he gets all the best genetics, and he, he'll call himself a grass farmer because he's more concerned about the quality of the grass that the cows are eating. Wow. Making sure that they're chest deep in it all the time, moving them twice a day from, you know, little area to little area. Uh, he's got his herds all spread out so that they have plenty of room and things like that. And he puts in irrigation systems and all that stuff just to make their lives as... Uh, you know, as laid back and pleasant as he can, because uh, that has a lot to do with the quality of the meat as well. So, Kevin, asked you about your dad. So, I want to talk about how your mother Anne influenced you and your culinary style. Uh, my mom is a great cook. Uh, 
you know, we went through our phase of chicken strips and fish sticks and tater tots <laughs> and all that stuff. But anytime my mom was really cooking, whether she was making oxtail or she was even a chicken and broccoli casserole or whatever, I mean, her food has always been, you know, what I strive to make food taste like. It's just she's just a really good cook. So, um, And then when I wanted to go to culinary school, uh, I was doing international trade at the time, and I just hated it. Uh, it just wasn't for me. And, uh, you know, to switch careers, you know, in my late 20s, it just seemed like, a, you know, so it's kind of going backwards. But my mom was very supportive, and she helped me get into culinary school, and that, you know, that made all the difference for me. Fantastic. We need to take one final break this hour. We'll be back. We've got some open phone lines. So if you'd like to visit with the Flora Butcher, Chef David Rains, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Email the show food at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to wrap up Deep South Dining after this short break. steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Aaron, who's called in from Arkansas. Mary in Ocean Springs. Marlou is on the line in Jackson. Rachel is in Clarksdale. At MPB Think Radio, we are everywhere you want to go. Sardis, Henleyville, Greenwood, Jackson, Oxford, Ocean Springs, Meridian, Hattiesburg, and we're going to Memphis. So go anywhere you want. We'll be right there with you. MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. We're visiting today with the Flora Butcher, Chef David Rains. Uh, so, Chef, uh, you had mentioned a couple of times that you do some plate lunches at your place. So if someone comes in around lunchtime, you could get the plate lunch. But also, uh, what else can you uh, – is there prepackaged uh, meat cuts of meat already there? And can then you also uh, custom uh, order customized? Sure. Uh, we have the case full of, you know, examples, some samplings of the different parts of the cows, pigs, chickens, uh, lamb, uh, ducks, geese, you know, what have you. Um, if you want a dry-aged, two-inch thick Wagyu porterhouse, we'll cut it to order for you. If you wanted a bone-in filet, we cut it to order. If you wanted a whole ham, uh, fresh ham, that's not something you can just go pick up at Kroger or anything like that. Um, so we have, since we have the whole animals, we do a lot of custom cuts. Uh, we make our own uh, meats like uh, smoked turkey breast. Uh, we do pastrami and roast beef, obviously. Um, we try to play around with it as much as we can. And then we have a lot of foods that you can just take home and put in the oven, uh, whether it's already cooked like a chicken tetrazzini or uh, a meatloaf that you pop in the oven for 30 minutes. Fantastic. Whenever I think about the butchers, though, Kevin, you know, and I said this earlier, I always think about those old uh, gangster movies, you know. <laughs> Yo, Joey, don't worry about it already. We're going to go see the butcher today. You know, it's kind of one of those things. <laughs> you know? no, no broken knees at your place. I'm not taking no, shit. No, no, I don't know. Joey's standing over there in the corner. He's kind of watching us, man. I don't know. Yeah, we got one New Yorker, if you've ever been in the shop, who hangs out in there. And, you know, he's not as scary as he looks. But. <laughs> A little authenticity there. So. Uh, let's uh, invite Timothy from Louisiana on the show. Good morning, Timothy. Good morning. Good morning, y'all. What do you got uh, for me, Tim? I got a question about oxtail. You know, I used to eat oxtail uh, at Ruthie's Soul Food Palace in Compton, California. 
and yet all have traveled all over this country. And I, I couldn't count on one hand the number of oxen I've seen. Where is it really <laughs> ox tail? Or are they, you know, passing off cow's tail as being from oxen? Uh, all, all cow's tails are referred to as ox tails. So that's what you're getting. Oh, I know, son of a gun. That's false <laughs> advertising. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like saying I want a plate full of mountain oysters. Think about that next week, okay? <laughs> all right. Good to hear from you, Timothy. Let's uh, move on next. We've got uh, Margaret in Starkville is on the line. Good morning, Margaret. Hey, Margaret. This past weekend, I had my first experience of haggis at a Robert Burns dinner, and I was frankly surprised at how mild-flavored this particular batch was, because I know it's supposed to be made with uh, lots of organ meats, uh, especially the liver and uh, tongue and lungs of a sheep. And uh, I'm just wondering, you sound like the sort of place that the Celtic groups uh, in your part of the state would probably go to to get the proper fixings for haggis. Yes, ma'am. Uh, am I right? We, we are, and actually we did make haggis for an event here in town at Seafood Revolution. We made their haggis and blood pudding. Sounds cool. I'll have to tell the place, the local people there to, uh, to drive down there and uh, uh, get their fixings next year. Yeah, sure. We have all the different parts of the animals, and then uh, since we have a really high-quality local lamb, um, that makes... The real difference, if you get an expensive haggis in Scotland, uh, it's a different flavor. It's more like what you experience because it has a lot more lamb in it. Um, if you get, a, you know, a, quote, cheaper version, um, it can be very, very minerally and uh, very strongly flavored like the organ meats that you're using. So you have to find a, a balance between the two for me. All right, uh, Margaret, thanks for the call. Uh, just to remind us, haggis is cooked in a sheep's stomach, is that right? Sheep's stomach. We did a... Uh, um, cow bungs uh it's the parts of the cow stomach um because we were doing it for a large group and uh, you can a uh, bung is a, f- a few feet long um and you put it in there and steam it uh to cook it through but uh, traditionally it is a, a sheep stomach yeah and so then is is the is that the method of cooking or i mean do you put something in the sheep stomach or are you cooking or are you eating the stomach you're taking all of uh mostly liver, ground lamb, and some of the other organ meats like heart and things like that, and you grind it all together and season it, and then you put it in there and you cook it through in the in the bung or the sheep stomach. All right. I've got another caller on the line. We're going to say good morning to Leo in Scuba this time. Good morning, Leo. Hey, Leo. Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead. Uh, you said that you, 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 you deal with the pork and the hog heads. What do you do with this? We make head cheese with our with our pig heads. Um, so we'll take the heads and split them, and then we'll simmer them for uh, a day, uh, more more or less overnight. Uh, we'll let it cool, and we'll pick all the meat off. Uh, there's a certain amount of skin and fat that goes in there, ears and things, and you just chop it up really finely. And it has a a visual appeal as it's in there, um, but it also has a you know a texture and a flavor profile that's unique to head cheese or sauce, uh, as you know you want to call it. And then um, we reduce that cooking liquid down, season the meat, and then pour the liquid over so it'll form up into you know what you're used to saying when you see sauce or head cheese. Okay. Do you know what a snoot is? A snoot? Yeah. St. Louis tradition. Uh, uh, enlighten me, please. Okay. You take the top lip of the hog and you put it on the grill with the snout, the nose on it, and you and you, you dice it, you know, to make it the membrane just lay out. And you put them on the grill and you grill it. And it's a smoked skin, and actually it's pretty pretty tasty. The reason I was calling, I was asking, did, would you know how to get a case of those without going to East St. Louis to get them? Uh, you can just come by the shop and, and, uh, you know, we have pig heads all the time. So I don't know if we would have, you know, 40 pounds of it, but if you give us a heads up, we could sort of save them for you. Okay. 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 All right. Appreciate that, but you ought to try that sometime. Pretty tasty. Well, give it a shot. Well, you know, Frank just killed over, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, Chef, tell us what's on your Super Bowl menu. A Super Bowl menu, we do, uh, every time there's an event coming, we try to stick with all the traditional uh, accoutrement to go with your steak or your burger or whatever like that. So we already do um, 
things like cream spinach, but we'll do more dips. We'll do, you know, deviled eggs with, you know, tasso on top, or we'll do, you know, snacky foods, uh, maybe do some sandwich platters for people. Right now, whenever somebody wants to do something, uh, they come in and they talk to us about it, and uh, we just make it happen for them. We don't really have a set menu yet. Hopefully one day we'll get to that point. But uh, we just try to do everything to order. Uh, if we need to boil shrimp, we buy shrimp. If we need to, you know, if they want a, a goose for Christmas, you know, we did those. We roasted some for people and glazed them. So all they had to do is warm it up. We just try to do everything we can for each customer. So who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> the Dirty Birds or the Patriots? I'm not sure I care. <laughs> So we talked a lot about your shop, and it is in Flora. Uh, tell us uh, the address. It's 4845 Main Street. Um, Flora's Main Street is two blocks long, so it's not too hard to find. Um, we're right next to the War Memorial right there in the middle of Main Street. So just look for the Flora Butcher on the on the glass. And you're open from what time to what time? We're open from 10 to 7, Monday through Friday, and 9 to 5 on Saturdays. Fantastic. Um, um, I had a question. Uh, the job our, our, our uh, producer wants to know, how do you like Popeyes? It's my favorite <laughs> comfort food in the world. There's nothing better than Popeyes, and there never will be. I just saw it as his guilty pleasures, and I'm like, this is a world-renowned, world-traveled, <laughs> yeah, wagyu-beef-type shelf, and he likes Popeyes. I love Popeyes. Two-piece and a biscuit. <laughs> oh, no, give me two Not fried chickens, and I'll be good. I'll be good. Uh, do you have a presence online? Uh, we have a Facebook page, and we're working on our website when we decide what all we want to have on there. Um, we get a few more pictures and a, a little bit more uh, of a set menu when it comes to catering and you know things like deer processing and stuff, so we can put it all on there. Okay, so this is a relationship question. How the heck is a carnivore married to a vegetarian who has vegetarian babies? Come yeah. on, talk to me about well, that. Well, I was working, uh, I went to Denmark to work at Noma, um, which at the time was the number one chef in the world, right before they became the number one restaurant. And I walked into a, a restaurant called the Buffenost, which is the beef and cheese. And the manager was Celine, my wife, and now wife. Uh, I didn't realize at the time that she was vegetarian. I started to figure out because she wouldn't eat the pickled herring and all that stuff. And then, <laughs> uh, you know, she's, uh, you know, it's a pretty good relationship when you're dating because she loves steakhouses. Uh, because steakhouses, I get to eat steak and she gets to get all the sides that are available. <laughs> so she's got five different sides in front of her and she's just happy as can be. And I'm over there with a porterhouse for two for me and I'm just it's a good system. I love it. I love it. Alrighty, that's going to wrap us up for today. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman and our call screener today was Debbie Kazoff. For Deborah Hunter and our guest Chef David Rains, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned up next it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey followed by Southern Remedy at 11. We'll be back next Monday at 9 for another Deep South Dining heard only on MPB Think Radio.